Take charge of your thoughts. Take charge of your life. Psychologist, author, speaker, musician, former professor, and the host of Love and Life, Dr. Karen Anderson Abril. Welcome to Love and Life. I'm Dr. Karen Anderson Abril. The Love and Life community is made up of women who take charge and make it happen in love and life. We're not interested in settling for anything, and we're certainly not interested in settling for a mediocre relationship. And as you know, I'm all about that life, and I'm here to support you in any way I can. And as you also know, my desire to wait for the right one paid off in that I met my person and the love of my life and married him at age 42. But another dream of mine, to become a mother, didn't happen. Many of you reach out to me with questions about this tension. You're enjoying your single years. You honor the confidence and independence you're gaining during this season, yet you want to be a mom. And we can't pretend our bodies remain fertile forever. They don't. This is a topic I will address more and more on the program. We did touch on it a while ago in an episode with Allison Sepinera and Bruni Getchell called A Race Against Time, Beating the Biological Clock, Techniques from Cognitive Therapy. And that's episode 48, if anyone's interested in that. And like I said, it's something I will continue to address on the podcast because I know it's something that's on your hearts and on your minds, and it's a very deep desire that most women have, and it's something that not all women will get. The experience of motherhood is not something that every woman who wants and desires will end up getting in their lives. Many of you will remember my conversation with Melanie Notkin, author of Otherhood. It's episode 99, Otherhood, Single Women Without Kids Who Want Them. Melanie's work and her brand, Savvy Auntie, these are great resources for women who are struggling with these concerns. And by following Melanie on Instagram, I found another great resource I want to share with you. The page is called Chasing Creation. It's a platform created by Katie Seppi, who also is hosting a summit this week called the Childless Collective Summit. It's a virtual summit. It's free. And it's for women who are childless, not by choice. That's me. And it may be some of you. And I hope if you desire children, I deeply hope that that dream is fulfilled. Should it not be fulfilled, I'm happy to share a resource that will be supportive and encouraging and allow you to know you are not alone with this struggle and with the pain that accompanies it. Katie is here to share her journey and what she's learned along the way and talk about the summit that kicks off this Thursday Before we get into the interview, here's just a little more about Katie. Katie Seppi is designing an unexpectedly child-free life after infertility. After her hysterectomy in 2017, she started Chasing Creation to provide support, resources, and community for those who are also involuntarily childless. 
This year, she is hosting the first ever Childless Collective Summit and also offers a monthly virtual childless support circle, monthly childless chat webinars with special guests, and online workshops. She holds a Master's of Social Work from the University of Georgia with an emphasis in community empowerment and program development. My interview with Katie of Chasing Creation after this. Katie, welcome to the program. Thank you so much for having me. It's great to have you on. This is a topic that many women in my community, many women who listen to the podcast are single. They currently are childless. And part of their journey is a desire to be mothers at some point. Mm -hmm. They're not sure that it's going to happen and they certainly don't want to try to rush a relationship or force something to work with a partner just so they can get to the place where they can be mommies. So there's this desire and yet uncertainty, a lot of fear involved. Mm-hmm. Should their life not play out the way they would like it to? We ran across each other on Instagram and I saw that you are hosting a childless collective summit And so I thought, oh my goodness, you must be well-versed in all these things. So I wanted (laughs) you to to join me and share some of your personal journey and where things are with the summit. And that's a long question. So take it from there. (laughs) Oh, I'm so excited to be here and to share all of this with you. So a little bit about me. I have actually been married for almost, I think, 14 years and So my story is a little bit different from maybe those in your audience, but I went through a few years of infertility and then realized, you know, after four years that that was not working and decided to move forward with a child-free life. And in addition to that, I was dealing with some health issues like endometriosis and fibroids and ended up having multiple surgeries and hysterectomy during that time. So um, in some ways, I, I was able to have kind of a finality to my decision with that surgery and um, have been now for the last two years creating community and connection resources for others who also are in my situation of being childless, not by choice. And I know that actually my situation is the minority if you look at women who are childless generally because most are childless by circumstance. So, you know, those who want children, but have not met the right person, don't want to be a single parent, you know, the, the women that you were describing. So yeah, I, I feel like I have tried to create an inclusive community where no matter how you got to be childless, you are welcome and your grief is valid and your experience is valid. And um, I just want to be together in it to have a community to kind of process all of this with. And there is so much to process. And thank you for sharing your journey and as you mentioned, there was this finality based on health realities. Mm-hmm. And, and and I'm childless, not by choice also. I'm a stepmother, but so I'm resonating with all the things. And there is that portion that the finality of it, which was very concrete for you, obviously, mm-hmm. once you had a hysterectomy. And I'm sure many of the women in this space, there's not such a finality to it. There's still these open choices. Yeah. They might try IVF, but then that doesn't work. So then they go, okay, is is adoption a plan or do I go with a donor egg? And so I'm wondering what that feels like to try to grieve something that's not fully final and yet isn't happening according to plan, which in and of itself, there's grief inherent to that. What do you hear from this community about such things? 
Yeah, well, I think it's so hard because no matter your situation, like you said, if you are someone who is single and hoping to meet your partner or if, um, you know, there's being childless by marriage where maybe you really want kids, but your partner doesn't, there's so many different situations that bring us to childlessness. And I think that the in-between part where you still have to balance that hope of maybe this is happening maybe this isn't my future. It's so hard to live with that because it's like you can see two divergent paths for your future and you're not sure which road it's going to take. And in a lot of ways, having kids is one of the only truly permanent decisions we can make in our lives. And it's so life-changing. And so it's really hard to have to look at your future and not be able to know kind of where that's, where you're going to end. So I, that waiting period, I, I just want to, I guess, validate how hard that is. And when you talk about the grief, I just want to recognize too that this is a disenfranchised grief. So it's one that our society doesn't recognize. We're not, we don't talk about it. We don't have a place to be vocal and get the echo back of, yes, I understand. It's it's just so dismissed by most of society. It is so dismissed by most of society. I love that word disenfranchised. There's nothing apparent, right? It's not a loss that was here and then is now gone. And people can recognize someone was here, they are now gone. So we're talking about the grief of something that never happened, but was deeply desired. Yeah. And at the same time, while there's not the loss of a person per se, like, you know, if, if someone that you love dies, society recognizes that and sees why you're mourning and why you're in grief. In this case, you do still have losses. They may just not be as tangible because you are, you know, you've lost the future that you envision for yourself. And that includes, you know, these daydreams that we have about what having a child will mean for us and what motherhood or fatherhood will mean for us. And, you know, we can picture a lot of times in our mind how we want to raise them and how it's going to fix the wounded childhood that we had or how we'll do things differently and what Christmas will look like. Or, you know, we have all these like ideas in our head. So you really are losing that vision of what you thought your life was going to look like. And that that is absolutely a loss, even if it's not as tangible as say, like losing a loved one. And it's also a disenfranchisement from what it means to be a woman. And yes. for better or for worse, in our culture, motherhood is very, it's almost conflated with the female experience. It's almost as if there's, it's such an expectation. And this is partly biological as well. Mm -hmm. I mean, there is the mandate to procreate so that the species continues. So I'm not trying to blame society always, but there's certainly an expectation for most of us that we will be mommies someday. And It is very hard, as you talked about, that future that we would envision and the plans we would make and how we would parent differently and what that role of mother would mean for us, for our identity, for our purpose and meaning in the world and our place in society. So when we don't have that, it can feel very alienating. Women very routinely will ask another woman quite quickly, just getting to know someone at a cocktail party are you married? Do you have kids? I mean, it's just so expected. And when you don't have children, it's like, nope. And then crickets, like, where do we go from here? (laughs) Right? A part of being a woman. No, absolutely. I mean, 
it does often feel like motherhood and womanhood are just seen as synonymous terms. And yeah. you're right. If you, One of the main questions that I think a lot of us get asked as women just out and about in society is, do you have kids? It's yeah. like the standard get to know you kind of question. And I think that, that a lot of that is because if you're meeting a stranger, you're looking for a way to connect with them. And if someone is a mom, they see that as an instant way to connect, right? Because then they can start talking about, oh, how old are your kids? My kids are this age. And it's such a strange question to ask someone when you think about how many people are grieving, because for some, it's just such, such a simple answer of like, oh, my kids are this old, you know, this age. And, but it could be one of the most painful questions you have ever been asked if you are grieving uh, and in the middle of that grieving to be asked so openly by a stranger. So it is, yeah, it is definitely an expectation in our society. And I think that part of it also is that we don't see ourselves reflected in the stories that we're telling. So Mm -hmm. even in um, movies and books and TV shows, it's so rare to have a character who does not have children. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say women because I think there's a lot of examples of men, but mm-hmm. women who don't have kids and are seen as, you know, functioning, well-adjusted, happy, and, and showing us, you know, what that can look like. And we don't always portray those people as role models. No, we don't. And I think it's inherent to how women are assessed and valued in our culture. And we are still primarily, despite the new millennium, we are still primarily valued by our relationships, whereas men are valued by their status, economic, their career power. Mm -hmm. And I'm saying this, I I try to say this just matter-of-factly because I don't, we derive a great deal of joy and meaning from relationships. And I think it's a wonderful thing. I don't think it's a bad part of the female experience to love our relationships. It can be frustrating though. And as someone who was single for many years and so many in my community are single, it can be frustrating when, again, like we said, that you know, before the kids, it's, are you married or who are you dating? And then you're viewed differently based on, oh, you have a boyfriend. Well, what does he do? Does he do yes. something prominent and high powered or, or does he do something not so impressive? And then we are, it's not fair, but we are looked at differently based on who we're with and then who we procreate, who we create and who we have brought to society. And yeah, it's, it's can feel, like I said before, it can feel alienating. And then I think the struggle is, and I think the struggle for women in my community who, who play out, like you said, mostly they're still playing out and I don't blame them. And I would mostly they are envisioning that future with a child at some point in some way. But if the the idea, like you said, there aren't role models for them to go, well, what if that doesn't happen? And I think the fear then behind it is if that doesn't happen, if I'm not a mother, who will I be? Will I have meaning? Will I be able to contribute in this profound way to the next generation that I'd like to? And then people say, well, you can always volunteer at the boys and girls club right? and and they mean well but oh well you're a great aunt and that's what and yes that is a wonderful thing and yes we can find meaning and purpose without motherhood but it is such a big deal that i think it's very hard for people to imagine what their life will look like and how they will be validated and what they will even validating themselves and assessing themselves am i making a difference in this life if i don't take on that role. Yeah. And it is, it is really difficult. And I think you have to do a lot of 
kind of re reframing your identity or reimagining what your life can look like because as women we are told by society that this is where your value comes from this is where you will derive your meaning this is what your attention and time should focus on so much of the meaning of life gets put into that one box of motherhood for me i i was thinking through this the different things that i was hoping to get from motherhood so you know i wanted a connection with a child i wanted um to feel like i had that meaning in my life you know these different ideas that we have about what motherhood will give us and thinking about okay what what are some other ways that i can create meaning in my life or that i can have meaningful connections and so i think that's my biggest message that i try to throw out there is yes your life if you don't have children and you wanted them is going to look very different than you had planned. But there are still ways that you can kind of reimagine these big things that we all want out of life and that we were hoping motherhood would give us. We've got to be a little bit more creative about the way that we go about having those things in our life. And it's going to look different. Yeah. And I love how you put that. It's it's really, it's interesting. We childless women, we have to be much more mindful and it's almost ironic. I think we have to be more clear about what it means to be a mother as we try to reimagine our life not being a mother than people who step into motherhood because, well, we got married and we got pregnant because that's what you do. Right? We have to think about what, what did I really want from motherhood? How can yeah. I create that sense and that meaning, that purpose in another way? So it's kind of interesting that we have to do all this work about what it means, this big picture analysis of what I was hoping to achieve and accomplish and, and experience as a mother. <laughs> and then we're not going to do it. <laughs> we're not going to be yeah. mothers. Well, and I also think that we end up, the only idea of motherhood that we end up having a lot of the time is the idealized version that we had in our head of yeah. what what it was going to give us, what it was going to look like for us. Like when I'm daydreaming about what I would have been like as a mom, I'm picturing like all of these beautiful moments that I would have with a child. I'm not picturing all of the really hard things or the things that I would have to sacrifice or, you know, the kind of day-to-day just drudgery that sometimes being a mom can be of being responsible for caretaking of somebody else's life. Like it's a huge thing. And I think it's just so easy to only look at the positives of motherhood where I think, you know, I have people in my life who have been really honest about motherhood and are open about some of the things that have really been hard. And I think that helped me get away from this black and white thinking of, you know, motherhood leads to happiness and bliss and a fulfilled, amazing life. And if I don't have kids, I'm going to be this sad lady that is just always miserable and not fulfilled. And so I think it, it helped me to see that neither situation is, is all good or all bad, right? Like, Mothers have their own challenges. They have their own ways that they're viewed by society and have judgments and criticisms put on them um, in different ways, but maybe to the same extent as childless women. And you can find the good and bad in both. And I think that helped me feel a little bit more flexible about, okay, like maybe my life doesn't have to be all bad. What can I include that's going to be bringing in more joy and fulfillment and meaning and you know, all these things that I want my life filled with, how can I find this in other ways? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that's such a that's such an important process for anyone because if it's not motherhood, there's probably some other deep disappointment. Life 
is full of them, sadly. Yeah. And it, it takes a lot of flexing the muscle of our mindset, which is something I talk about a lot on the program in various capacities, but trying to be what uh, Stephen C. Hayes, the founder of Acceptance and Commitment Therapy, calls psychological flexibility, to find mm-hmm. that flexibility instead of that rigidity that my life must go this way or else I will be miserable, period. <laughs> End of story. Right. <laughs> trying to find flexibility, which is very much like physical flexibility. It's very beneficial if we can, like you have put it, reimagine what our life can be and where mm-hmm. we can find fulfillment in areas that maybe would even surprise us considering we assumed things would be toward motherhood. And now that that hasn't happened, having the flexibility to find that fulfillment elsewhere. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. If you have just a few seconds to help me out, I would so appreciate it. You can do so by heading over to Apple Podcasts, giving us a five-star rating and a few sentences of review that helps others find the program and join the Love and Life family. So Katie, let's talk a little bit about your Childless Collective Summit that's coming up. I saw the panel of speakers. I know some of these women, actually Melanie Notkin is how I found you. Yeah, she's she's, wonderful. Yeah. So let's talk about some of the different content areas that you're going to cover in the summit because there's a wide array of experiences with this. There will be people probably attending the summit who are still in the grieving portion and they're not, there's no finality yet. There will be some women who it's very final based on a health reality or other circumstance. There may be women like me who are childless myself, but a stepmother. There's so many different configurations, some single, some married, some divorced. So talk a little bit about some of the content areas you plan to cover in the summit. Yeah, absolutely. So it is really pretty wide in terms of, you know, the range of topics that will be covered. And I wanted to do that because I, you know, I do recognize that we come from so many different backgrounds and there's so many different circumstances that led us to being childless. And I wanted to try to represent as many of those different perspectives as possible while still also making a program that was applicable to, you know, a lot of people. So um, I was very mindful about how I put it together. So what I decided to do was kind of put the days into their own theme. So mm-hmm. day one on March 18th, the theme is sharing our stories and the content that day is really looking at some of the things we've been talking about, like who are we as a community Who are we as individuals? Why is it important to control the narrative of our stories? There's a live session that's going to be on celebrating childless women in literature. So just really thinking about our stories. The second day on March 19th is around finding healing. And so for that, I've asked some really amazing therapists or counselors and, you know, others who really are talking about that grief component and how do you work through some of that really difficult, those difficult emotions that come with this. And then day three is March 20th. It's all around making connections. And so I asked a friendship expert, Dr. Marissa Franco, to join us because that was one of the number one things I hear from women is just that they really struggle with their friendships and connecting with other women who are childless. We have a session on how faith communities can be more inclusive. We also talk about how to get more involved in the childless community. So it's all about those connections. Uh, We'll also have a live social hour during that day. And then the fourth day is March 21st, and the focus is looking ahead. And so I really invited some of 
my favorite voices in the childless community to come and share some of their wisdom around, you know, how do you take those next steps? Because I think the grief component's huge. That I don't think ever goes away completely, although for a lot of women, it gets easier over time. But so that's like one huge piece. And then I feel like the other huge piece is, well, how do I just take the next steps to creating a life without kids that I love? And what does that look like? And so day four is focused entirely on that. You talked about the narrative and sharing our stories. You know, there's an entire therapeutic orientation called narrative therapy. And it's so much about, as we look back, we realize that going to psychological flexibility, there's so much power in the way that we frame our stories. Yes. And that's something that we don't realize we have power over. Sometimes we think this is what happened. I can't change it. No, you can't change the actual events. You can change the frame through which you view or the lens through which you view these events and reframe, which is a therapeutic tool that we use in counseling to reframe something, to see it from another vantage point, a vantage point that allows more peace, that helps with the grief, and then perhaps even lets you see that some things maybe didn't go as you had hoped, but it's okay. And that's uh, that's a process. It's not something you do in one a little here, I'll have a therapy session, boom, (laughs) use this little reframe intervention and we're done. But talk a little bit about maybe your own experience and some of the women that you've encountered as they reframe their narrative and their past. Well, I mean, I think for me personally, a lot of it was, I mean, I did learn a lot through therapy. So I saw an amazing therapist for, you know, the two years that I was really in the thick of it. Mm -hmm. And I mean, she certainly helped me reframe a lot of what I was going through. And especially for me, I can be kind of a black and white thinker. So whatever mm-hmm. narrative I've created about, this is the truth of what what's happening to me. And, and she was able to give me a different perspective that helped me see, oh, maybe this is more in the gray area than I thought. And even seeing some of the, like helping me see some of the ways that I was ambivalent about becoming a mother, or especially in that reimagining of what my life, you know, could look like, you know, I think it's, it's been really helpful to just, yeah, be able to, to think through this with a different lens. And, and I agree that stories that we tell ourselves are very powerful and you can, I mean, I'm sure you've had the experience where you can go through something with another person and then you hear them retell it and to someone else. And you're like, oh, I don't, that's not at all what I remember happening. (laughs) And so I I think, yeah, like you said, you know, what story are we telling ourselves? It's not that you're trying to just put a gloss over everything and say, and try to switch how you're talking to yourself to make it all positive and rosy. But there are ways that you can, for me at least, I think being able to interrupt that black and white thinking to have a fuller perspective of of kind of what I've been through and where I want to go that opens up a lot more opportunity and space to not just be in such like a rigid, this path leads to all happiness and goodness and this path leads to sorrow and despair. Yeah. It's that black and white thinking. It's, it's understandable that I think, and I deal a lot with women in my community who are very accomplished and they've set goals and you know, I, I have this career goal, so I get the education I need, check. I get the grad program under my belt, check. And so these are very concrete and they are doable and they're tangible. And then with personal relationships, they're often struggling in the realm of romance 
with the idea that, wait, but I'm a go-getter. I can make it happen. <laughs> and we can't. And the, again, this plays into the conversation today as well. We can't just find the guy, check, get married, check, have the baby, yeah. check. That part of our life doesn't work that way. So that black and white thinking that may surface quite well with other pursuits mm-hmm. doesn't serve us when it comes to relationships. And I think that can be so struggling for very empowered women who take charge and it can be really hurtful that their skill set that works so well in one domain doesn't work so well in the other. Oh, it's so difficult. And I will say that's probably one of the, you know, recurring themes that comes up the most in Mm -hmm. um, therapy for me is, you know, realizing that I don't have control over everything. And it's a terrible thing to have to come to terms with because (laughs) you're right. There are some other areas of my life where I have been able to you know, be dedicated and work towards something and have the outcome that I was expecting and working for. And to have to learn that, you know, through my health struggles, no matter what I do, I have sought out the world's best, you know, some of the world's best endometriosis surgeons to have surgery twice. And I've had a hysterectomy. I've been, I've done all of the things that are the gold standard of care. And I know that for the rest of my life, I'm going to be dealing with some symptoms because it's a chronic illness. And um, same thing with my infertility. You know, I had to go, I went through that for almost four years. And that idea of, I'm doing everything I'm supposed to do. I'm taking the stupid supplements. I'm, you know, having sex on the right days. I'm doing everything I'm supposed to do. And I'm not seeing the outcome that I want. And I think that is one of the hardest things that we have to learn in this life is that there are some things that are just truly outside of your control where you can put as much energy as you want in and you're just not going to get the outcome that you're hoping for. And I think for my summit, one of the speakers I'm the most excited about featuring is Tracy Cleantis. And she is the author of a book called The Next Happy, which is all about how to move forward when the dream that you had doesn't come to fruition. Mm, yeah, that's uh, that is uh, that is the question, isn't it? <laughs> because again, as we spoken to, it's going to happen in one realm of life. It just is. That's just how life is. And how can we be happy and still thrive without minimizing the pain of yeah. what didn't happen or what happened? horribly wrong. And, and and I'm thinking not about infertility here, but something else that happened that wasn't expected, like a child with severe special needs, for example. How can we be happy when the life that we scripted out for ourselves has derailed pretty dramatically? Right. If you're looking for some in-depth support, head over to my website, loveandlifemedia.com and click on the work with me tab to schedule a consultation. Consultations will help you clarify underlying emotional and psychological concerns, will target limiting beliefs and thought patterns, will learn empowering techniques from cognitive therapy to sustainably elevate your mindset and mood, will identify relationship dynamics which are impeding your goals, and will together generate a concrete plan for moving forward to help you thrive in love and life. Schedule your consultation today at loveandlifemedia.com. I'd love to work with you. 
Yeah. So then I'm thinking about healing and we've talked about the grief and I've spoken to women who then they get into their forties and their fifties and it didn't happen. They're not mothers. And I've noticed that there can be some guilt Mm -hmm. or frustration. If I'd only done this, if I'd only broken up with the guy who I knew wasn't good for me sooner, instead of wasting all those years of fertility with the wrong person, my story includes being engaged to and two months before the wedding, calling off a wedding at age 34. And I, so I spent four years of my fertility with the wrong person, engaged to him, and then almost marrying him. There's been times when I've looked back going, if I could have, I should have all that guilt. And I know I'm not alone in that. Do you hear from women in this space that they're processing some of that guilt of decisions they wish they had made differently that now have in their mind at least potentially prevented them from becoming moms? Oh, I would say it's one of the most common things that I hear. And it doesn't doesn't seem to matter how someone came to be childless. They, they put guilt and shame on themselves mm-hmm. in a number of ways, no matter how they got here. And I think, you know, my, my therapist said something to me that I come back to all the time because I found myself finding all kinds of ways to guilt myself and shame myself for not becoming a mother. And um, he said, you did the best that you could with the information you had at the time. Yeah. And for me, that has been such a powerful thing to come back to. I think about it over and over when I need to kind of interrupt mm-hmm. that guilt thinking, because when I actually think back to the situation I was in at the time, like, oh, well, you know, I was married for a long time before I started trying. Why didn't I try earlier? Well, it wasn't the right time then. Like, mm-hmm. obviously, if I, if I could see the future, <laughs> maybe I would have done things differently. But I, we can't see the future. We don't know what's coming. So we're making the best decisions that we can with the information that we have at the time. And that's the best that we can do. And I think we need to give ourselves some self-compassion and grace for that, realizing that we were doing the best that we could in the circumstances. And we have to do the best we can as we go along and then let go of some of that guilt. I think a lot of it is put on us by society again, because there's so much pressure to be a mom. And so it's not, it's like you're, you're grieving and thinking about the life that you could have had as a mom, but then you're also getting potentially pressure from friends and family and society of, you know, why didn't, why didn't you have kids? Why didn't you do this? You could have done that. And that's a lot of pressure to, to have to bear. It is a lot of pressure. I think it's also partly going back to that control element where we rehash the history and we believe somehow we could have controlled our fate. And maybe we could have, I don't know, maybe if we'd made choices differently, but I don't know that that's useful thinking. I think it's, it's heaping salt into a wound. Mm -hmm. It's, and it's hard to, it's and again I'm speaking from personal experience. <laughs> I don't know that it, it's useful for me to go back and beat myself up for choices as your therapist put so so clearly and so powerfully that I made the best decisions I could with with the information with where I was emotionally psychologically at the time. Mm-hmm. It, there was no ill will or evil intention that I did or I wasn't trying to 
obviously not trying to hurt my future self. No. And I certainly wasn't trying to disappoint everyone around me who wanted, you know, you hear, you'd be such a great mom. (laughs) You hear all these things and it's like, oh yeah, okay. What am I supposed to do with that? (laughs) I know you mean it as a compliment, but yeah, (laughs) I think that control element, we imagine that there was control and I'm, I just don't know that we really had control. Yeah, I agree. I would also say that the thing I think in the, in this way, when you're thinking about, you know, guilt and shame and, and how you talk to yourself about what's happened or where you're at, one of the things that's been the most powerful for me, and I think has been for the women that I, that I interact with and have heard from is finding others who are in similar situations that you can talk to, because what it did for me was I started to, I started to hear them say the same things that I was saying to myself. And when I heard them say it, it seemed ridiculous. Like I, you know, I would say, of course it was okay for you to stop doing treatments or that you never wanted to do, you know, IUI or that you haven't met the right person. Like just, you hear this negative self-talk, you see them doing it and being able to recognize, oh, wow, I would never say this to a friend. And it breaks my heart hearing this person say this about themselves and then recognizing, oh, that's exactly what I've been doing to myself. And yeah, I've said that to myself before. And I think being able to, you know, make those connections where you can feel seen and heard and have somebody else tell you like, no, you're good. You're doing great. <laughs> like you couldn't have done yeah. anything differently. And being able to get some empathy and, and compassion from others and being able to give that to others can be really healing as well. Because I don't think there's anyone that can quite understand what it's like to be a childless woman and, and everything that we go through because of that than other childless women. And so for me, that was my biggest goal for this event was to bring people together for some connection and support because even though from the statistics I've read here in the U.S., one in six women are childless at the time they get to the end of their childbearing years, but yet one of the most common things I hear is that everyone's feeling really alone and misunderstood and not knowing where to turn for support. And so I, I really wanted to bring people together to see okay, you're, you know, you're not alone. You're, you're one in six. That's a lot of, that's a lot of people. And it is such a strange thing because I don't think we're very represented. Like our voices are not that loud in society, but I would like to change that. And I'd like to bring us together and help us heal together and support one another. Yeah. And I love that you're giving an entire day. You're dedicating a day to that, to making those connections. I was speaking with someone recently. She didn't get married until 51. And during her 40s, she made some very concerted efforts. She did, I think, four years of IVF efforts, Mm -hmm. which didn't work. And then she asked a cousin, a younger cousin for an egg to try egg donation. She was explaining all this and talking about it. She's in her 50s now and it's behind her. She talked about all the things she did and she was describing them and she was framing it. She said, Essentially, she said, well, you know, it was just insanity. I was just completely, that's just complete tunnel vision, completely obsessed with becoming a mother. It was utter insanity. And I I found myself getting emotional for her because I was like, that wasn't insanity. Yeah. <laughs> that, that was such a deep desire. And it makes yeah. perfect sense you would have done that. And she's looking at it like it was so insane, all the crazy efforts she did. And I thought, no, I I get it. I get it. I 
So, yeah, I don't know if you hear things along those lines. Yeah, you know, it's a mix. I I feel like I, I, I definitely hear that of, oh, why did I do so much? Why did I try so, so many different things? And, and then I, I hear from others who beat themselves up because they feel like, well, I didn't do enough. I could have done more. I gave up too quickly. And that I think is very embedded into our society, this messaging of never give up. And if you want something bad enough, you keep working at it and you get it. And I, yeah, so I definitely hear both, like the the beating up about doing too much and wasting time for something that didn't end up resulting in being a parent, and then the other side of, well, why didn't I do more? Let's connect on social. I'm most active on Instagram, where I post original quotes, infographics, and I tackle trending topics in my love smarter, not harder IGTVs. On Insta, you can find me at Dr. Karen, D-R dot K-A-R-I-N. I'm also on Facebook at Dr. Karen Anderson Averill and on Twitter at Dr. Karen Anderson. Do you have recommendations or what sorts of conversations surround the very real and understandable jealousy that women may feel when they were childless, not by choice? And looking at these others. And of course, social media gives us so many opportunities to see Mm -hmm. everyone's perfect family with their perfect kids and baby bumps. And we're going to see the sonogram pictures. And do you have any kind of thoughts about that? Or what sorts of conversations do you hear surrounding that topic? Yeah. I mean, that's obviously one of the, the really big ones that comes up in our community. And I don't know if you're familiar with on Instagram, there's an account called Misconception Coach, and it's run by a woman named Chemi, and she's going to be speaking about this in the summit too. So I think this is, you know, that'll be a really good one to watch. But there are so many things as childless women that will kind of trigger us, and and especially those feelings of grief and jealousy can come up. I, you know, I spent many years not being able to walk through the baby section at Target, like I would plan my route to avoid it. Mm -hmm. And especially like you said, social media, where you're only seeing the highlights of Mm -hmm. families and and parents, it is is really difficult. So I think first and foremost, just realizing that it's a natural reaction. It's a response to grief and, you know, having to accept that there's something you wanted so badly that you're not going to have and giving yourself some grace and self-compassion to just let that live there and be okay uh, mm-hmm. with with it being there because it is, I think, a normal reaction. And then one of the biggest lessons I've learned around this is being able to be okay with multiple emotions being present at once. So for example, in order for me to be really involved in my nieces and nephews' lives or my friends that have children, that may mean that when I'm hanging out with them, there are times when I have broken out in tears because it's really hard to hold a brand new baby, but also wanting to hold space for the fact that I have this new little person in my life that I get to be around and be a, be a part of. And being able to like acknowledge that both of those can exist at once and that's okay. I don't have to try to push one out to make room for the other. Just letting myself kind of feel the wide range of emotions that that's going to bring up in me. And then also being able to kind of identify 
when it's a good time to mute people on social media or mm. unfollow because there are times when it's just too much and also doing protective things like I don't really go to baby showers unless it's someone extremely close to me because I just don't want to put myself through that. So, I mean, you're going to come across stuff in life that is going to be hard, like in regards to this, right? Like you can't just Mm -hmm. unsee every baby or like not ever be exposed to a a pregnancy bump or whatever. But it's realizing that there are some things that are within your control. And if you're in that place where you're still really trying to manage that grief, being able to mute or say no or cut out some of those things for a while or forever, that's okay. As we wrap up here, Katie, you're going to end your summit looking ahead. I know for me as a childless woman, and I'm I'm trying to still tease out what I'm doing and how to communicate this to my community because I get a lot of questions about it. Basically, like, how can you be okay? It's it's attainable. Like in the and the presentations that are going to be on that day, a lot of them are focused on small steps. It's very gentle. It's not, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you're expected to have this amazing plan for your plan B that's going to be so fantastic that your mom friends will be jealous. Like that's not the point of this is to like try to try to recreate your life in one day. Right. And so I think the presentations you'll find are very gentle and very, very much meeting people where they're at. And I know for a lot of people that means being in a place where you don't know if you're going to be okay. You don't know if that's possible. I certainly Mm -hmm. felt like that for a few years and um, I'm just starting to see really this last year that, oh, I'm really liking my life right now. Like there, you know, there are things that I've incorporated that I'm really loving. And I think part of that is that stepping outside of the grief has helped me get back into things that I'm passionate about and hobbies that I enjoy and wanting to reconnect with friends and family because I got pretty reclusive for a while when I was kind of in my really deep in my grief. Mm-hmm. I tried to make the the looking ahead day very approachable, very like I said, very gentle where mm-hmm. it's it's meeting people where they're at. I love that gentle notion. I love the notion of just taking it step by step. And mm-hmm. you don't have to, like you said, at the end of the summit, I've got this amazing life and I'm going to, it's not about that. <laughs> <Nope. It's> just, <laughs> right. And it's, but I'm sure that there will be a lot of messages and I'll, I'll harken back to Melanie Notkin again, one of the things mm-hmm. that stuck with me from our conversation, she said, I refuse to play second fiddle to the life I didn't have. Yeah. And she talked about that part of her grief and moving through it is saying, I'm going to honor the life I have. There's such great stuff going on here. And I'm not going to, I'm not going to live my life as if it's second best to the life that was in my imagination, essentially. And it gets back to some of the stuff we know from psych research on happiness and joy, which does Mm -hmm. include gratitude. So we honor and are grateful for what is and try to dim the focus in our mind on a daily basis to what isn't. And I'm not saying that you do that to minimize your grief or pain. That's not what I'm saying. But there's always a choice of what we're going to focus on in any given day. Yeah, I agree. And I mean, Melanie said it very beautifully. And Mm -hmm. that can be really overwhelming if you had a picture of what you thought your life would be. And you have to now kind of create this new vision of what 
what else it could be because you haven't spent your whole life daydreaming about that, right? Like you, mm-hmm. you've got to kind of get creative. And I do, I'm a big believer in the small steps piece of just incorporating those small things and small moments. And over time, those build up into a life. So like one of the best things that I have done in the last couple months is bought a pair of roller skates. And that may seem really silly to some and like not very profound, but with all of the kind of medical trauma and illness that I've been through and the infertility, it's allowed me a way to be in my body where I actually feel joy, where it feels fun Mm -hmm. to be doing something. Mm -hmm. And it's a new skill. I'm learning how to dance and then like on roller skates. And then through that, I met some other women in the childless community who are doing the same. And now we've connected and are sharing that as a hobby. And so it doesn't always have to be like this huge vision. I'm not saying that like roller skating took the place of my kids, right? But like right, it's those, right. like small mm-hmm. moments of day to day, like how can I add a little bit more joy and fun mm-hmm. and passion and relationship into my life? And what, what would that look like? So I like to start with just the very small things instead of trying to map out what is my, you know, what will my next 50 years look like? Because that's mm-hmm. very intimidating. And it's a struggle and it's an important one that we undertake because we really have no choice, right? I mean, what's your choice? The next 40 years, do you want it to be obsessing about something that didn't happen or thriving in the fullness of what is happening? Right. At some level, it just kind of comes down to that, doesn't it? Exactly. And I think that's where, to me, I focus so much on the grief component because everybody wants the latter, right? Like the two options that you chose everybody wants to live like a fulfilled life where they're not sitting around like obsessing about what could have been. Mm -hmm. And so I think it's, in my mind, it's more about how do you, how do you find the tools, gain new skills, work through your grief so that you can get to that place? Because I don't think it's an automatic thing where, you know, you realize you're not going to have kids and you just magically snap your fingers and have this new idea of what your life's going to be. And you just move towards that. It's, it's a process and where people sometimes get stuck is if they're living in that grief and not being able to process or work through any of it. So they just get kind of stuck. Mm -hmm. And it goes back to that flexibility and that Mm -hmm. psychological flexibility. And I think the thing that I struggle with right now, and I would love to hear your thoughts on this. Um, Wow. When people say, well, you know, at the end of your life, You never think about your job or your hobbies or anything else. You're always thinking about your children, the most meaningful thing (laughs) that you contributed to society and to life and to existence itself. That's one I still struggle with. I go, wow, at the end of my life, I will not be able to say I created these beings and they're out carrying on my values and doing good work in society. I won't have that. And that's a little pain point for me still. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and and it will be, right? Like, I don't really have a magic fix for taking that away because I'm sure it's something that we all think about as women who are childless. But at the same time, I, I read this quote that said something along the lines of, if you're a parent, then parenthood is the most important thing to you. But if you're not a parent, you've got space to open up other things that become important. And I think that that, again, with that reframing we've been talking about, if you're a parent, you kind of have to put most of your time, energy, everything into your children in order for them to survive and be raised and and have lives and all the things that you want for them. And I see that with 
friends who are parents that it's hard to even get them on the phone for 10 minutes or Mm -hmm. get them to go out to lunch with me because it's so all consuming. And I think a reframe of that would be on the flip side of that, like I've got a lot of time and energy that I have a choice to pour into whatever I want to. And so for me, that's been kind of a healing thought to realize I have the ability to to decide what's meaningful for me and how I want to fill my life. So because I'm not a parent where it's kind of um, predestined, like where I'm going to put my energy into and which relationships I prioritize, I have the opportunity to prioritize other relationships. And those can be just as strong and just as valid and just as important to me in my life. And thinking about it in terms of what are we creating and what are you creating in your life? So, you know, where are you investing that time and energy? And maybe society won't ever be able to look at us and say, your life was as valid, you know, without kids. I I don't expect that messaging from society because it's not where we're at. It's very pronatalist where I'm sure the person who said that had kids, right? (laughs) But that doesn't mean that there aren't alternatives and the other things can't be meaningful or important. I appreciate that word. And I think that is, again, as we've been speaking to, it's, it's a process. And to find those quotes that you can tuck away so that when those emotions come up and those thoughts come up, and I think those quotes can be really helpful So thank you for sharing that, Katie. Yeah. Let the listeners know how they can participate in the summit if they would like to. And I I would imagine that there's space for women who are single and there's no finality yet, but they want to be availing themselves of encouragement and empowerment should they end up not being mommies. Yes, absolutely. And I will say to that, because I tried to make a very inclusive and kind of wide-reaching event that would touch different people in our community Every session is not going to be for every person. It's a lot of content. There's 28 different speakers. So I would definitely recommend that you kind of look through the topics that are going to be discussed and decide which ones are right for you and which ones you want to participate in. But yes, I'm super excited about the event. So it's going to be on March 18th through the 21st. And you can sign up for free at chasingcreation.org. So having the summit be free to anyone who wanted to participate was a value that I brought to the summit because I really wanted it to be accessible. And so the way that it works is um, we do have a schedule that you can follow along with. And if you join us live, we'll have the speakers and I will be in the chat box as well as other attendees. And as you're watching the presentations, you can participate in the chat box to be talking with others who are there. If you aren't able to make it along with the scheduled time, you also have the option of um, having access. Well, you just automatically, when you sign up, will have access to each day's sessions for 24 hours. So you can watch them at your convenience. And if you would like to have extended access to the sessions, because you're not sure if you can make all of them and because it is a lot of content in four days, or if you want to process it a little bit more slowly, there are options for extended passes that you can purchase. And those are also filled with some extra goodies that my speakers contributed. And so there, it's a pretty amazing deal. And you would also have access to all of the presentations for a full year. And then in addition to that, 10% of all of the profits from the extended access passes will go to the Black Women's Health Imperative, which is an amazing nonprofit. So like I said, free to attend. You can you can access all of the sessions for free, but if you want extended access or 
have the, the means to kind of contribute to the time and energy that me and my speakers have put in, those extended passes are there as well. That's wonderful. And so where should people go to sign up? My website. So it's chasingcreation.org. Great. Thank you again, Katie. I really appreciate your time. And I'm really enthusiastic to share this with my community. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure. The love and life hack for this week is there are no easy answers for moving through the disappointment of being childless, not by choice, but there is support. I hope my conversation with Katie has felt supportive and encouraging. And if you are in that space, please check out the summit. It's four days. It's free. Many women speakers sharing their journey, their pain, and how they are still thriving in life despite this deep disappointment. I hope you'll check it out. Take charge of your thoughts. Take charge of your life. As always, I'm so honored that you've chosen to spend part of your day with me. It really means so much. And until next time, make it a great week. Love and Life is produced by Tim May and hosts and executive producer, Dr. Karen Anderson-Abril.